This evening, I'd like to have you turn uh, in your Bibles to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Usually on a Wednesday, I have had plenty of time to kind of look at my notes and meditate upon things, make sure that we're moving in the right direction, want to make sure that we're going to be receiving God's Word rightly divided and all. Uh, This afternoon, the Lord seemed to draw my attention to uh, one of the pamphlets that we have in our uh, reception area by the office, a pamphlet by a, a man named Cedric Fisher, who wrote this pamphlet entitled The Unacknowledged War and the Wearing Down of the Saints. I remember a couple of years ago, actually a few years ago, when I was doing some conferences across the country uh, focused on prophecy that uh, I had taught uh, a lesson in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And one of the words that I focused my attention on and the attention of those uh, that were hearing was the word perilous, the word for perilous. Built into that word, and I'm not going to go down the whole list of the things that it means, but built into that word was the understanding that in the days and times that we're living in now, there is this tremendous uh, attempt by Satan himself to wear down the saints. And that's a a biblical statement as well, you know, the wearing down of the saints. And so uh, the first thing that I read, and I didn't read the whole pamphlet, I read about half of it before the service tonight, but what caught my attention was this statement that was heard by an eyewitness at, at the 2015 Parliament of the World Religions. And what this person said was, and I quote, Orthodox Bible-believing Christians do not fit in our world, nor will they be tolerated. Now think about that for a moment. Because that's talking about you and me. I consider myself an Orthodox, Bible-believing Christian. And I would hope and pray that all of you here today that love Jesus are the same. So think about that statement. Orthodox, Bible-believing Christians do not fit in our world, nor will they be tolerated. It goes on to talk about an event that would happen the following month in the year 2015 at a place called Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon, October 2015. A young man who attended that particular community college went into a particular classroom and began to ask people what they believed. If they, they said, are you a Christian? And if they said they were, he would tell them to stand up. 
and then he would shoot them. Nine people were shot that day, and so was he. Of course, that was during the time of the Obama administration. And uh, he had promised to have a czar, if you will, that would oversee from the Justice Department these lone wolf domestic terrorists or extremists. But it came down to much later on when people began to see what was happening with that kind of department was really a targeting of whatever they consider to be right-wing extremists, Bible-believing Christians. I bring that up because if we haven't already learned from the coronavirus pandemic of the past few months and the insanity of the Black Lives Matter and Tifa protests and rioting and lootings that have taken place uh, over the past couple of weeks. We should be at a point now to realize the seriousness of our commitment to Jesus Christ in this world until Jesus comes. Certainly the Lord has not called us to hide. This particular message, as all of our messages, are going out via a number of different uh, uh, platforms, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Vimeo, our own website and app. I don't wonder whether I need to watch what I'm going to say. I only lay it before the Lord and say, God, you tell me what to say through your word. And I don't want to hold back because we can't. Our church, our congregation, our people, our guests from around the world depend on us telling the truth because there's not a lot of truth-telling going on today. So I brought all of that up because I, I believe that what we're going to deal with today has to do with what we're doing here tonight. We've come into the house of God And I pray that we have come into the house of God to worship the Lord and to, wor and to worship him in our fellowship and to worship him in our study. Because the days and times are evil. And we have a mission. In fact, we have a great commission that Jesus gave us. And no pandemic and no lockdown is going to keep us from fulfilling that. No crazy, chaotic 
situations is going to, are, are going to keep us from fulfilling what God has called us to do. Paul said that we need to fulfill our ministry. He fulfilled his ministry, as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We need to fulfill ours. But we need to be serious about our Christianity. We need to be serious about what God has called us to do. In Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7, and by the way, as I'm, I'm sharing this tonight, to those watching, you are here with us. You're a part of this service. You're part of this congregation. So what I'm saying is, when it comes down to it, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. You are here with us. We're here together. That's significant, and we appreciate it. So understand that as I get into this text. Solomon says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. And therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. Fear thou God. There's a story told about a golfer named Jones who was 20 minutes late at the first tee on Sunday morning. And the other three members of the regular foursome were almost ready to drive off without him. So Jones had to explain to his golfing partners. He said, I, I agreed with my wife that this Sunday I'd toss a coin to see whether I played golf or I went to church. Heads, I played golf. Tails, I went to church. And you know, fellas, I had to toss the coin 43 times before it came up heads. I guess he really wanted to play golf that day. While that story illustrates in a somewhat humorous way the thinking of some professing Christians concerning the significance or insignificance of corporate worship, 
in competitive contrast to personal pleasures. Let me share with you a more sobering story, one that is true. In fact, I'm going to share two stories very similar in content. A missionary tells of a woman in India holding in her arms a weak, whining infant, while at her side stood a beautiful, healthy child. The missionary saw her walk to the banks of the Ganges River and throw the robust, healthy youngster to the crocodiles as an offering, and then turned toward home again, still clutching the sickly child to her bosom. Tears were running down her cheeks when the missionary stopped to question her concerning her shocking actions. However, she proudly replied in defense of her conduct, Oh, sir, we always give our gods the best. I thought about that story. I'd heard it a long, long time ago. And I thought, well, I really want to know that that's what happens there. And that this isn't just a story to kind of, you know, stir sympathy, as it were. So I checked with a missionary group that I'm very familiar with, that ministers, uh, has many native missionaries in, in India. And on their website, I found this other story. It was about another missionary who was actually a native in India who witnessed a woman weeping uncontrollably by the same river, the Ganges. And with compassion, that native missionary knelt down and asked what was wrong. The problems in my home are too many and my sins are heavy on my heart, so I offered the best I have to my goddess, my firstborn son. She said. With horror, the missionary realized the woman had just thrown her infant into the river. The missionary began telling her about Jesus, about how he loved her and her baby, and about how her sins could be forgiven through him. And the woman said to him, I have never heard that before, she replied through her tears. Why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier if you had? My child would not have died. That might have been the same situation, just told a little more specifically. But whatever the case about the stories, they were true. They give their gods and goddesses their best. Now, does that stir in your heart? I'll tell you this, it certainly does in mine. Because I have to ask that question every day. Lord, am I giving you my best? Am I giving you my best? Am I giving you my all? For the first time in this book, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon turns to direct warning and admonition to his readers and listeners as he has observed the activities in the temple. In the temple, 
the magnificent temple that he had built for the people's worship, and rightly believing that they should approach and enter it with quietness and reverence. Now in this we can see a parallel for today. That we should approach the teaching of God's word and the worshiping of our Lord, whether here in this place or in our own family circle of worship, but that we approach the teaching of God's word and worshiping the Lord with all due reverence and with all seriousness. We sang a chorus, Your Holiness Surrounds Me. Stop and think about that. That isn't just words on a page to sing. It is the reality of this moment. God's holiness surrounds us because God is here. The presence of his Holy Spirit is here. And we should approach him with that seriousness of worship. Oh, yes, we can praise God, and we should. We can get excited about the Lord, and we should. But we should always remember that he's holy and deserves Our humility deserves our praise, deserves our worship. Solomon was watching worshipers come and go. He saw them come to give praise, to pray, to make sacrifices and vows, while many of them who came to the temple were not at all sincere in their worship. This is what the Lord was allowing him to see. His concern was that they would leave the temple in worse condition spiritually than when they had entered into the temple. His greatest observation was that in all of this, the Lord God of Israel was being robbed of the reverence and honor he so richly deserved from those who had experienced the blessings of his deliverance and of his care. But worship had become a formality of outward obedience and inner disobedience. And it brought to mind a, a, a classic exception to the phrase, all is vanity, the phrase that we have been looking at from the very beginning of this book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, the classic exception to that is that all really indeed, for those who are living on this earth, but believe in the God who has created the heavens and the earth, all for us is loving service to God. All is vanity belongs to those who live under the sun without God. Loving service to God, all of our loving service to God should come from our hearts because we know the God 
who created the heavens and the earth. And those who humbly worship the Lord will be blessed. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be blessed. I think if you're here tonight, I think you love the blessings that God gives you. Amen? We all should love the blessings God gives us. Well, there's a blessing that comes when we humble ourselves in worship to God. Isaiah chapter 56 verse 6 says, Also the sons of the stranger, and this is speaking of those who are not in the camp of Israel as it were, but also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them, verse 7, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And we know that Jesus referenced this particular verse. When there in the temple in Jerusalem, he overturned the money changers' tables. This is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. The Lord God, which gathered the outcasts of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Because you see, God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all creation. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. In Solomon's time, going to the house of God may have been strictly observed, yet could simply become a mechanical performance of religious duties. Their acts of worship, as ours at times, were half-hearted. They were superficial and indifferent. By the time of Jesus... It was practically easy to see, at least from him, as he looked. You read Matthew chapter 23 and you think of the statement that Jesus made. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he describes those half-hearted, superficial, and indifferent acts. In the seven verses of our text here in chapter 5, Solomon points out his observations of careless worship and careless words by cautioning us to beware of three things. The first thing is careless preparation for worship. And I'll give you one each of these individually in just a moment. Careless preparation for worship, verse 1. Careless prayer in verses 2 and 3. And Careless promises in verses 4 through 7. So let's begin with careless preparation for worship in verse 1. Solomon says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Be ready to hear. Than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. 
Scriptures tell us, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Quick to hear. That means be ready to listen. Hear. You come into the house of God, come to listen. I'm sure you've seen the sign that says, watch your step. If any of you have ever been to England, you know, especially in London, you know, they've got the thing called the tube. That's like a subway. And every time you get ready to get onto the subway, there's a, there's a recording that keeps going on and on and on. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. In other words, watch out for that gap between the, you know, the station and the, and the tube, you know, or else you're going to fall in it or trip or something. Mind the gap. Well, that's what we see here in verse 1. Keep thy foot. Watch your step. Where? When thou goest to the house of God. There's a sacredness of service to God in our attendance to contrast that of vacant service, which is just tradition, which is just trying to follow a form or, or, or a dead imitation of something where there is no throbbing of spiritual life. There there needs to be an excitement when we get together in the house of God. We're going to worship the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is eternal, the God who has no beginning, who has no end, the God who has sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who is God Himself, to take upon Himself flesh, So that he could die in our behalf without sin. There has to be a throbbing of spiritual life in every believer. It should not be a careless step into an ordinary house. Because our business, listen, when we come in here, each and every one of us needs to understand this. Our business is with the High and Holy One. Our business is with the Creator of the heavens and the earth. That's, if you've never seen it from that perspective, we need to. Every time we come in here, every time we open His Word, it is His Word, His words to us that He has inspired, that He has preserved so that we can have his truth and know his truth. In fact, David makes this abundantly clear in Psalm 5, verses 4 through 7, when he says, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing, which means that those that speak uh, falsehood. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. In thy fear, in your reverence, in respect, in the awe that you exude when we walk into this place. I will worship toward thy holy temple. And he makes it even clearer in Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verses 5 through 7. 
and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? Well, we know the answer. None can. There's no one who can compare to the Lord. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Reverence. That is the fear of the Lord. It is to worship him. It is to kiss toward the Lord with all devotion, with all love and mercy. How do we prepare to come to a a place like this tonight? I I wrote these questions down, but it it, it actually starts a whole lot sooner than when 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 I mentioned these things. Uh, Do we begin to reverence and worship the Lord before we leave home? I don't want an answer. I just, I want us to think about the question. I'm going to church tonight. We're we're going to gather. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to have some fellowship. But man, we're worshiping the Lord. Do we begin to reverence and worship the Lord before we leave home? And then do we, do we continue as we make our way to services? <laughs> that one always astounds me that, you know, I hear the stories, you know, trying to keep the kids, you know, calm in the car, sit down, sit down, arguing about one thing or another. Then we get to church and we say, oh, brother, amen, so nice to see you, oh, We're coming to worship the Lord. We need to be ready a little bit sooner. (laughs) Are we seeing to it that our hearts are engaged in eternal reality? I think that's one of the major questions that we need to ask ourselves. Are Are we seeing to it that our hearts are engaged in eternal reality and not in the trifles of the moment? Are we communing with the living God and not only in the company of friends? Because sadly, some people go to church just because they want to be among people. And, it, and it's not wrong. I mean, sometimes we need each other. This, this lockdown has been so destructive. Honestly, I, I, I mean, it's been destructive. There hasn't been one redeeming, good, redeeming thing from it. Oh, you might say, well, wait a minute, how can you say that? You know, I mean, people, you know, may, may not have gotten it if they had gone out, or, or, you know, this coronavirus, or whatever. No, no, no. You don't understand. The news media is not going to tell you how many people have suffered by being alone. And some are still suffering tonight because they can't walk out of the house yet. They're afraid. They've put people in fear. Some people have taken their lives. It's not reported. Some people have fallen into Great Depression. And you know what they have to do now? They fall into Great Depression. They can't go see someone or they can't go to church, be encouraged. But they can call a, I was going to say a psycho, a psychiatrist. And, and, and they say, well, we'll just talk on the phone because, you know, we can't meet. God didn't create us to be like that. 
Man was not created to be alone. God says that in the second chapter of Genesis. It is not good that man be alone. We've talked about that already. Whatever you might think about, you know, whether we're using the lockdown properly or whatever, I don't care. I don't care. It's more destructive than it is helpful. Okay, you can throw tomatoes at me later. While all of that is important, what is most important is that we are here to commune with the living God above everything else. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28 says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? The psalmist says, who, am I, who have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. To have that particular attitude is not to say that, he, that the psalmist doesn't love other people or people in his family or whatever. What he's saying is that there is no greater love and communion that we are to have than with the God who created us. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. And these are hard words. These are hard words. But let me say, it isn't the easiest thing to do, to draw near to God, but it is a must. It isn't an easy thing to do, but it is a must. We need to, pre to be prepared to worship. And part of that is being prepared to hear, which is what... Solomon says, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 8, verse 18, take heed therefore how you hear. Take heed how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. It is through hearing that we receive the word of God. To take, to, to, to take heed, if, if we have received and we listen, to him shall be given. Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken. You have careless worship when you do not practice profitable hearing. You have careless worship when you do not practice profitable hearing. We then have a, attendance without attention. Attendance without attention. Many are looking for novelty rather than for edification. Are we connecting the house of God with eternity? We should. I'm sorry, I know that people have said this, and, and if you have said this to me, I'm just asking you forgiveness and out front. 
if you've said it. I don't know if you, any of you have. But if you've ever told me, well, I have a very short attention span, that's not good enough. You know why? Because we have something better. We have the Holy Spirit who gives us the wisdom to retain and to contain in us. We have to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural, folks. We are supposed to be trusting a supernatural God to give us everything that we need. I can assure you, we all have short attention spans. We do. The older I get, the shorter my attention span gets. I have to fight it. I do. I fight it. I mean, just like it starts to happen. No, 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 no. Because I don't want that to happen. And I don't want it especially to happen when I'm dealing with God's Word, when I'm dealing with the things that pertain to the Lord. Are we connecting the house of God with eternity? Think about the words of Paul in Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 2. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Them that heard it. Sacrifices, folks, sacrifices are not substitutes for obedience. Anybody can give something. But sacrifices are not substitutes for obedience. We have been called to offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. Our bodies, our praise, good works, our broken hearts, and our prayers of faith. This is what we're to offer up to the Lord every day. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that pertains to worship. The, our reasonable service is worship. I think I mentioned on, on the weekend uh, the normal Christian life. There was a book called The Normal Christian Life written by a man named Watchman Nee many, many years ago. But when you read the, read the book, you realize the Christian life is not normal. What is normal is that we have to be different from what we were when we were not believers. And the normal Christian life demands our obedience, demands what we've just talked about. Trusting in the Lord, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. Going back to Hebrews for just a moment, Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 16. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Notice, it doesn't just say praise, you know, once a week or twice a week. It says continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. 
For with such sacrifice, God sacrifices, God is well pleased. Notice that the sacrifices don't come before our sacrifice of praise. What we do that will affect others, in other words, to do good, to communicate with others, God is pleased with that, but it begins with a heart that has offered continual sacrifices of praise unto God in worship. And then there's the statement in in Psalm 51, verse 17, that David made, the sacrifices of God. What are they? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That was a hard lesson for, for David to learn after his fall. But that's what he did learn. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that God never despises. Psalm 141, verses 1 through 4. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Oh, how often we need to say, <laughs> to do this. Sometimes, I mean, you know, sometimes we, you know, what? We're wanting to do the right thing as believers, but sometimes we you know the mouth kind of like remembers old weird dumb things. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Guard the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And let me not eat of their dainties. With those things that the psalmist said there, this then transitions us to the next issue, from careless worship to careless prayer. Look at verses 2 and 3 now of Ecclesiastes 5. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Be not hasty. Don't be swift. Don't be quick to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Let me explain that verse first before we go on. Because <laughs> I, I really had to kind of you know, dig deep in this particular thought. But for a dream cometh through the multitude of business and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. The, the, the Hebrew understanding here was that the fool's dream was that God hears his many words. 
that God hears all of the words, that he would just, God just is impressed by all the words that this fool is saying before him. And Solomon is saying, man, you got it really all wrong. God already knows your heart. Let your words be few. That's another connection to the understanding of hearing. Let your words be few and listen. Listen. So when it comes to the issue of prayer, then what we need to understand by all of this is that prayer is serious business. If we were invited to make our request at the White House, would we not choose our words carefully and exhibit some proper behavior? I think we should. How much more when we come before the presence of Almighty God? We're to be careful. We're to be careful with hasty words as well as with too many words. Words can get us in trouble. Just read the third chapter of James. Words can get us all in trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 6, and, and listen to this. In compar- well, in comparison to what uh, Solomon said. Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus said, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. I find that interesting that Jesus would say that. I think he said it on purpose. There are those today who say a lot of prayers and they repeat them over and 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 over again. And what Jesus said was, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But what are they saying? The same thing over and 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 over again. He said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Don't be like them. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. God knows already. Remember, who are we coming here to seek? (laughs) Who did we come in here to worship, to honor? to bless and to praise. Remember this also, coming into this place. uh, We've gotten into this mindset, and this is what I'm trying to bring up. We get into this mindset that we come here, we sing songs of praise and thanksgiving and worship, and then we ask one another, pray for me. I'm going through a hard time. That's not a bad thing to do, but what I'm saying is, he already knows that. You may have asked him for something this morning. It's okay to come and ask him again here. But just remember that he hears us. We come to humble ourselves so that our hearts will be right before the Lord. But we have to be careful. See, maturity says, okay. Let your request be made known unto God. If there's something that you need to bring to the elders of the church, as it says in the, in the book of James, you know, you come to the elders, if you need prayer for healing, whatever, then, you know, the elders will anoint you with oil, and, and you know, and the prayers of the faith will, will, heal, will, will save and heal. So there, there, there's, a, there's importance in all of that. But the fact of the matter is we don't come in here first to look up at, man, um, and look up at God and then later on just look at man. 
because we'll, we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you and with you. But we're all called to come to God. The door has made, been made wide open for you, for all of us. So he says, when ye pray, when ye pray, Jesus said, be not ye therefore like those who pray with too many words, for your Father knoweth already what things you have need of. What does that do? It should, it should stir up our faith and trust more in him than in anybody else. So prayer is not reciting a list as quickly as possible so as to rush once more into the to round and routine of daily life. If we only pray to impress people, we won't get through to God. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody? Oh, a few of you, good. John Bunyan wrote this in prayer. It is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. As personal and business cares produce dreams, so many worlds produce foolish and empty prayer. This, this proverb about dreams, and, and by the way, this isn't a, you know, there are books written in, you know, the, you see them in Christian bookstores, books about dreams and stuff. A lot of dreams in the Bible. But when it talks about dreams here, it's not talking to them in a good, in a good way, so understand that. So this proverb here reflects a mind that is preoccupied with one's own business rather than the worship of God. That's why I said earlier that a fool's dreams are that God has heard all of his, all of his words. But God already knows. And then there's careless promises. Verses 4 through 7. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Which means don't delay in paying your vow. Don't put it off. Pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. In, in other words, allow not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Don't vow a vow that the lust of the flesh may tempt you to break. Which is a good way of kind of considering this verse. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel. By the way, the angel is a messenger. So that messenger could be someone like a, uh, back in those days, a priest. Or, or, a, or a prophet, as it were, or some kind of minister, but a messenger for sure. Where, uh, neither say that thou before the angel that it was an error. Oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? To say something and then say, oh, I, I didn't say it, you know. In other words, kind of really lying. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy? Why shouldn't he not be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And then he comes back to the issue of dreams. For in the multitude of dreams 
and many words. There are also diverse vanities. So, you know, dreams aren't looked at in a good light here. The last four words are what, is, are, what are important. But fear thou God. Fear thou God. So the point of vows here, just in a short uh, form, vows were not required. Understand that. Vows were not required. But if they were made, and that's the point that we learn in the law as well as by Jesus, if they were made, those making them were responsible for keeping them. We learned this in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God. Now notice it doesn't say you should. It just says when thou shalt vow a vow or make a promise unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. There's the same thing. Don't delay in paying it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee. And it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, if you, if you just won't vow, it shall be no sin in thee, because it's not required. That which has gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform. Ah, if you make a vow, make a promise to someone or to God, you have to keep it. Even a free will offering. According as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. If you've promised an offering unto the Lord, then keep that offering and give that offering. Making a vow with no intention of keeping it is lying unto the Lord. That's why it is so important to understand what is being said here by Solomon, who saw a lot of people make free will offering or, 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 or make the pledge of an offering and then never keep it. A second sin pointed out is that of making a vow but delaying to keep it, hoping to get out of it, out of the vow. Uh, here it is. These are statements that some people may make. Maybe they've made it. I don't think any of you have made these statements. Okay? Lord, if you answer my prayer... I'll give $5,000 to missions. You're just committed now to, uh, you know, to give $5,000 because he's going to answer your prayer. Ah, oh, Lord. Uh, would you take 2500 instead or? I got a little excited there, Lord. I mean, you know, I was just... Uh, or how about this one? Lord, if you get us through this storm in our lives, I'll go serve you in Africa. Lord says, okay. Get you through the storm, and then what happens? Oh, Lord, you know what? I, I, got, I, I was just a little bit, uh, I got a little emotional there. I, got, I thought, wow. But yeah, I never wanted to go to Africa. Do you, do you, do you mind if maybe I, I, I could go maybe a week or two down someplace else and just visit for a while and I'll just come back and you know oh no no you said Africa trying to get out of it 
I don't think any of us have ever done that. So I'm not worried about y'all. Here's the question. Are words the same as deeds? Are words the same as deeds? Those who think so are not serious in their worship because their words are obviously not dependable. So words are not the same as deeds. We can say that we can give and give and give until we're blue in the face and never give. Jesus dealt with the religious leaders as well in, in, in some of those cases. You say you're going to do this, but then you twist it. You twist what you say. He caught him on every turn. He catches us too. When we rob the Lord of worship and honor, we rob ourselves of spiritual blessing. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of this study. When we rob the Lord of worship and honor, we rob ourselves of spiritual blessings. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Think of what you say to the Lord. That is why we have to hear before we speak. Arthur Pink, a British preacher, once wrote this. He said, They bring their bodies to the house of prayer, but not their souls. They worship with their mouths, but not in spirit and in truth. They are sticklers for early morning communion with God, but they take no thought about keeping their hearts with all diligence. They boast of their orthodoxy, but disregard the precepts of Christ. Multitudes of professing Christians abstain from external acts of violence, yet hesitate not to rob their neighbors of a good name by spreading evil reports against them. They contribute greatly to the church, but shrink not from misrepresenting their goods and cheating their customers, persuading themselves that business is business. They have more regard for the laws of man than those of God, for his fear is not before their eyes. Oh, that we never be like any of those that are described in that statement. Let me say this. It's supposed to be humorous, but thought-provoking at the same time. You ready? It's a poem. I wish you folks would come to church, if only for a visit, for someday they will carry you in, and the Lord will say, who is it? Something to think about. Jesus pointed this out. He, he quoted it one day about those very same religious leaders. It was Isaiah 29, verse 13. 
that says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. How we need to not be in this verse in the sense of drawing near only with our mouth, but not with our hearts. The true Church of Jesus Christ, as I was telling you earlier, will be challenged at every point, at every step that we take between now and the rapture of the Church. What we need to do is what Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I'll close with this. He said to her, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those of you tonight who are here and those who are watching on live stream, you're here. You've come to worship the Lord. Now, only the Lord knows your hearts. But I trust that God will encourage your hearts. For he knows how you came here. And he knows what burdens you brought in with you that he wants so readily to lift from you and fill you with the blessings that he himself wants to give you for trusting in him, for loving him, for worshiping him, and for serving him. And again, it is always a joy to be able to be with you, to worship with you, to serve with you, to learn from the Lord with you and from his word. Let's, let's continue to worship God in spirit and in truth. Here's the truth. Here's the spirit. Let's worship him with everything that is within us.